Second Chronicles, isn't it? Chapter 31. That's where we are picking up this morning. And uh, as you are no doubt aware, I have been um, doing a series from the book or from these particular chapters that relate to Hezekiah the king and the children of Israel. And so um, we've been looking at the theme of revival and I know it hasn't been consecutive because we've had myself then a guest speaker, myself then a guest speaker and so it's hard, sometimes it's um, hard to get a run on it but um, I'm sure we can reflect on it and remember various things that we've discussed. And so as we've been looking at Hezekiah and the revival that took place amongst the children of Israel, or predominantly Judah, but also extended unto Israel, if you'll remember, and how they came down and travelled down to join with them, especially in the Passover, um, for those that um, you know, others mocked and all the rest of it. That's what we considered last time. But there were those whose hearts were moved. There were those that had come together to seek God. And they were being uh, uh, restored into right relationship Atonement was being made for their sins and so forth. And so we've been drawing out the various principles, the patterns that are associated with a divine visitation of God, of revival amongst God's people who have drifted away or turned away or have, um, who have backslidden uh, in their walk with God. And so being revived and being renewed. And so there are precious, precious truths that we have considered and seen and observed as a result of, of this in the Scriptures. And so I want to, this morning, as we're moving through this, it's, uh, we're just basically going through the Scriptures and through the chapters, and we're identifying those various aspects. In this particular chapter that we're going to look at today, we will see that another fruit of revival another manifestation of what happens to the human heart when God uh, uh, gets involved and God moves amongst his people. Because there are various human responses. And the one that we're going to consider is, uh, um, uh, is clearly a result of God at work in, his, in, in the hearts of his people. And let me say this, it must be one of the fruits that are observed when God is at work and God is moving. And so the question is, well, then what is this particular fruit that we're going to consider? What is this particular um, aspect of revival that we're going to see in the Scripture? Well, let me say to you this morning that it is this. It is the spirit of giving. Okay? Giving. So we're going to consider, as a result of chapter 31, giving, because revival must find its expression in God's people giving liberally, cheerfully, of their finances uh, unto the work of God, unto the kingdom of God, unto the purposes of God. We can't avoid this particular topic. Okay, some, uh, some like to uh, uh, avoid, because, uh, you know, the climate of the modern church is one that obviously prosperity and, um, and they're talking about money all the time and so forth. And so the tendency is to just take the opposite view and just not talk about it at all. 
But you can't do that either. Because if we're going to be true to the word of God, then at some point we're going to come across the issue of money. Can you say amen? So I want to be open and frank this morning because this is where we're up to in the scriptures. So I could, I could skip chapter 31 and go to chapter 32, but that wouldn't be appropriate, would it? So we must look at chapter 31. We must see and identify those truths and we must consider them as they relate to ourselves and, um, and allow God to work in our hearts because this is the truth. God, when he moves... He will always touch our wallets. Can you say amen? <laughs> In one way, shape or form, we will be moved by God and challenged with the needs to give unto God. And so I, I find it a contradiction if we say that we love God and that God is moving amongst us, yet we tend to withhold more than what is right. You understand my point? To withhold more than what is right. In actual fact, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11... Verse 24, it says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. And so we can withhold more than what is right. I know you might say, I can't give so much. That's okay. There's each one, purposes in his heart, so let him give, the scripture will teach us. But what I'm saying is, is that we can be filled sometimes with a spirit that is, is self-centered, and self-seeking to the point where we withhold from God more than what is right. Okay? So I want you to pay attention to where I'm talking, where I'm heading with this message this morning, but may God speak to us. Because on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out, what was the initial fruit that we saw? The Bible says that they sold their possessions, that they gave their money, at, laid it at the apostles' feet, that they distributed amongst those who had need. And so you can't avoid, when God comes, when the Spirit of God moves, there is a manifestation of liberality amongst the people of God. And that's how it is. So one man said, when God comes in power, he always touches the pockets of his people. And so that's where we're heading this morning. Praise the Lord. You sound excited, just like me. <laughs> Let's read in uh, First or Second Chronicles chapter thirty-one. We're going to start in verse number one. Now, this is Hezekiah and the children of Israel. The Bible says, "Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images." And threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions. Each man according to his service, the priests, the Levites, for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons, and the set feasts as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support. 
for the priests and the Levites, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as, uh, as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid in heaps. Now let's go down. Verse 18. We'll skip this section. Verse 18. And to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness they sanctified themselves in holiness. Also for the sons of Aaron, the priests, who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities, in every single city there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right in the, uh, and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. Praise the Lord. So, let's follow this through. And again, just make emphasis... Of verse 1 in chapter 31 before we proceed, because again, the Bible's reiterating in the midst of everything that has been going on uh, under the, this, uh, this uh, revival under Hezekiah, it is again emphasized that once they had finished, obviously, the previous chapter, they had kept the Passover and they'd been celebrating that um, uh, for two weeks because uh, they did it another week. And so after they had completed all that, everything was done, atonement was made, they had been seeking God, there's, there's, uh, there's, uh, the people are rejoicing, they're excited, they're revived. The Bible says this, now when this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah. And again, there's an emphasis that they, they, they broke down the sacred pillars, they cut down the wooden images, they threw down the high places and the altars. And, and it says, and they utterly destroyed them all. And so we've looked at this in, in terms of the idols that we can have in our hearts, those things that uh, can get in our way of a relationship with God, that can steal our affections uh, and can steal our hearts uh, to the degree in which we can have high places in our lives that are uh, 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 that we are altars in which we worship at. In the sense that, as well, that, uh, that causes us to forsake God, to neglect God, to turn away from God and to drift from God. And ultimately, these things must be destroyed. If something, that's why Jesus would say, if your hand causes you to sin, well, he said, cut it off. Now, that's not literal, okay? <laughs> now, he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. In other words, he's saying, be ruthless in your dealings with sin. Be ruthless in dealing with those things that are interfering, uh, that you are easily entangled by, or whatever the case may be. You must destroy these things. Oh, but you're overreacting. 
No, you're not overreacting because sometimes you need to be ruthless with these things. Another person may not have to tear down that altar because they don't worship at it. But nevertheless, for you, it may take some radical approach. I remember talking to a brother and he was sharing about some things and, and he was saying how, you know, the, uh, for him, the, his, his computer was a problem. And so what did he do? He got rid of it. Now you say, well, that's extreme. No, it's not. Well, of course it's extreme because it needs, if for him it needed to be extreme. Because whatever it takes, destroy it. Utterly cut it off. Break it down. If, that, that, if that's what has to be done, then so be it. Do it. That is commendable in the sight of God. And so, and so the mentality is, as they're, as they're uh, revived in the Lord, they are continuing to assess those things around them and they're breaking down all those idols. And so that is commendable and something that we as Christians can continue to learn and apply into our own lives. Because these things, if, if, we, if we don't deal with them, they will, will, these compromises will trap us, they will corrupt us, and... Uh, and they will cause us to forsake God in faithfulness. So they have to be destroyed. Now Hezekiah, the scripture turns now, and it says uh, that the children of Israel return to their own cities, every man to his possession. This is after they'd all come to Jerusalem. So now they've all gone back. And so the, the scripture now turns to the fact that Hezekiah has now reset. Remember, he's restored the temple. He has uh, removed the rubbish. He's, uh, he's repaired the doors. He's put up, everything's been repaired. Then they instituted the, the, the Passover and the sacrifices, the Levites and the priests. He's setting it all up. But now it's all set up. Uh, the issue is, well, we've got to keep it going. And so Hezekiah, no doubt, uh, understood the, the, the law of Moses and understood that which was written uh, in the word of the Lord that related to the tithes and the first fruits and the offerings that were associated with the temple and, and its maintenance and the Levites and their services to the house of God. Okay, so, so this is now what's happening, we see. But again, Hezekiah, in, in acknowledging this, it is important that Hezekiah we note, leads by example, okay? Because it says in verse 2, Hezekiah, oh sorry, verse 3, it says, the king also appointed a portion of his possessions, okay? And so Hezekiah realizes the re requirement, he realizes the need, and so he says, well, what am I going to do? You could have this easily as the king, first and foremost, just commanded everybody to do what they had to do. But the scripture is quick to illustrate and to point out that his first step was to first himself. He showed them and he first applied it to his own life and, and the Bible says that he appointed a portion of his possessions for the offerings of the temple and, made, uh, uh, and began to supply and meet that particular need. You see... This, uh, this idea of appointing a portion of his possessions, or uh, in the Hebrew, this particular word means the, the portion that is due. And when you understand the law of Moses in the Old Testament, you'll understand that the Jew, in this instance, had uh, the, uh, the Israelite had an obligation to give according to the law of Moses, the law of the tithe and the law of the first fruits. 
And this all had to do with uh, uh, ultimately supporting the Levites who were separated to God for the service of the house of God and everything that was related to it. So they, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't work in the fields like the rest of them. They, they worked unto the service of the house of God. So they needed to be supported. And the way in which God structured that was through the law of the tithe. The law of the first fruits. And so when the children of Israel would honor that, then the, everything, all the needs were met and all worked out well. Okay, so this is what we're dealing with in its context. But nevertheless, the principle here is that there was a portion that was due. So Hezekiah is setting aside a portion of his possessions for the, for the service of the law of the Lord. As it is written, it says in the, the law of the Lord. But in verse 4 it says, He commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support. So he's doing it himself and then now he's saying to the people, listen, you likewise have to contribute support for the Levites and the priests and for the service of the house of God because if we fail to do this, then the Levites, obviously the result is the Levites don't get supported so they drift away from their commitment to the service of the house of God and then ultimately what ends up happening is the same thing. The house of God just gets neglected. So Hezekiah is mindful that we have to set up this structure and this structure is not something that he invented, God did. And so it's according to the law of the Moses, it was written. So he's now instructing the children of Israel. And he's saying that uh, um, uh, in verse 4 that uh, they must contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they may devote themselves to the law of the Lord so that they can study the word of God, so that they can teach the people the word of God and instruct them in the ways of God. And so you can see the significance and the importance of this and their need to be supported. And this is what Hezekiah is setting up in place. And so there's a spirit of giving that is now beginning to lay a hold of Hezekiah and the people to support the Levites. Now, in verse 5, it says, As soon as the commandment was circulated... The children of Israel brought in abundance of first fruits, and then it named, now this is not monetary. This is not money in the literal. It's, this is now we're talking grain, wine, oil, honey, and the produce of the field. This is what it's related to, as they make provision for them. But notice, uh, even though they are being in, commanded in verse four. And though they has, uh, have received that commandment, let it be known that the children of Israel are not just responding because it's written in the law of Moses. I mean, obviously, that's the motivation. But you see, they're doing it because it's in their heart. It is in their heart because they desire to do what's right. They desire to give. They desire to do the commandment of the Lord. And so that's why the scripture says that the, um, his commandments, they're not burdensome. When you love the Lord, uh, you keep his commandments. That's what Jesus said. So keeping the commandments is not about legalism and burdens. It's about our love for the Lord. And so when you see, you see now a spirit of giving that is beginning to grip the children of Israel. 
And not only are they giving of the, their tithes and of the first fruits, as we see here identified, it also tells us as they did this, they consecrated to the Lord their God and they laid it in heaps, literally. I mean, the amount of stuff that was being given and accumulated was, was just heaps and heaps and heaps in the literal sense. There were heaps. And so, um, and so this was the response of the people of God. And so this is my point this morning, is that uh, when God is at work and God is in moving, they had neglected to give. They had neglected to support. Now all of a sudden, as they've gotten right with God, they are, they are they're rejoicing in the Lord, they are made right with God. And now the first thing we begin to identify is they are giving. They're giving. Now, I, I know as, we, as I'm addressing this, people will probably be thinking, some might be thinking, okay, so what is Pastor Gary saying? Is he telling us now that he ha- we have to tithe? <laughs> okay, so let, before we start venturing down this path, let me, I, I want to emphasize again, I don't want to go down that path ex- um, too much, um, but I will just speak in brief so that I can create some context here so that you can understand what I'm thinking and what I'm teaching in relation to this. Now, the, in the law of Moses, there is the law of the tithe. There is the law of the first fruits. And this is the law of Moses. So when it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to us being in Christ Jesus, on the book, in the book of Acts, chapter 15, they wanted, remember they, the, the Jews wanted to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. That was the question, if you read it in Acts 15, that they would be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And so it caused a big commotion that they had, the leaders had to come together. They sat, the council sat down and they said, okay, what's the deal? How does the law of Moses apply to the Christian? And so if you read that carefully, you'll begin to see that as they considered these things, that they, um, they made their conclusions and they said, we will not place on them the burden of the law of Moses. It does not relate to the Gentile church in terms of the law of Moses. And so therefore, um, uh, they said, uh, this, these were the commandments that they would stain from blood, from sexual immorality and things offered to idols. They didn't say to them, but make sure they keep the tithe, all right? Now, I, that's my position. But that doesn't say that there is not a lesson for us in the principle of first fruits and the principle of the tithe. Now, listen to me carefully what I'm going to say so you don't misunderstand me and misquote me. I preached once many years ago uh, here and on money, and I think I was misinterpreted. And I want to make it clear what I am saying this morning uh, and what I'm, about to sh- what I'm about to show you from the Word of God. Now, first of all, there is a, I do believe there are principles here in the, in, in the tithe and in the uh, principle of first fruits. Because if we wanted to take it literally, then you know, let's bring in the oil, the wine, the, the grain, let's all make heaps. Okay? We're not taking it in that literal sense, Okay? But what is the Spirit of God teaching us? What's the Word of God teaching us? It's teaching us about the spirit of giving and a spirit of liberality. But there's also a principle here that I want you to see in the 
in, in the Bible. Now, the Bible does speak about laying up a portion aside. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, and this is in the context of meeting needs uh, of, of the brethren, mind you, as well. But nevertheless, the principle he's drawing upon, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 16. Now, the, the New Testament speaks of laying aside a portion. But the question is, well, how much? It doesn't say a tenth, does it? So in First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've written, or as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Paul could have just easily solved the problem and said tithe. <laughs> but he didn't, right? Lay something aside storing up as he may prosper. Or in other words, putting something aside as God has prospered you. That there be no collections when I come. So in other words, what, what, what is interesting here, and what I want you to draw your attention to, is that we are dealing with Christian stewardship. How does the Christian handle their finances? How does the Christian manage their money? Because the reality is, if we are gods and, uh, and God owns us, the Bible teaches us that God owns everything and everything we own is God's. So how we are, how we are stewards of what God puts into our hands is very, very important. And so this is why I do believe that there is a principle for systematic giving in which we are stewards of the finances, then as God prospers us, as each week or fortnight or month or whatever the case may be, as we continue to prosper in God, we begin to be stewards of those finances and we put a portion aside. The question is, well, well how much is that portion? I, I can't stand here and tell you what it is. I can say to you, based on Scripture, there is a, a, a 10% can be a good suggestion, but it's not a law. It's not a law that I could say, this is what you have to give. Okay? But each one's got to determine that in their own heart before God. But I do believe that we have Christians have a responsibility to put, as, as we are prospered, to put aside the first fruit. Now listen to this. It's the, the law of the tithe, or principle tithe and principle of, law, of the first fruits. And let me say this, it's the first fruits. This is why... I, I, I believe we set aside the first fruit. How much is that first fruit? I'll leave that between you and God. But it's the first fruit, not the last fruit. Okay? And so this is where we systematically manage and are stewards of the money that God puts in. When we give to God, we say, Lord, this is how much it is. And if you read historically, some people over the course of the years, they've, given, they've chosen to give 10 but some will give. Uh, some may give less. But I've known and read of many who give more than ten percent. They say, I, you know, because they've prospered, they can give twenty percent, and they don't feel it. So each each one's got to determine that as God in their walk with God. And so, um, but this is how I understand it. And this is how it works in the book of Proverbs, chapter three. The Bible says, uh, I think it's verse nine. Uh, it says, uh, uh, honour the Lord with your possessions. Is it verse 9, is it verse nine or is it verse 8? But it, Let's see. It is, verse 9. It says, honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. 
So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So here you have it. Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of, your, of all your increase. And so as I've said, it's about our financial stewardship. It's about setting a portion aside. And it's the first fruit, not the last fruit. And so how much that first fruit? That's between you and God, as you, as what you can, what you are able, as God allows you. That's that's entirely uh, something that you must determine. But, but you know, we can all give something. Can you say Amen? When you uh, and if we and that's why if we honestly assess our lives, we say, oh well, I can't give to God this week. But you know what? We didn't think twice about going to the movies. We didn't think twice about this. We didn't think twice about purchasing that, buying that. See, sometimes it's about our stewardship. You see? And, and this, we have to be brutally honest and consider these things. But I'll say this. Is 10% a good guide? I think it could be. I know that that's how I conduct myself, but I'm not saying that that's how everyone needs to conduct themselves. But, that's, but I came from a background being taught tithing. And so as I've, uh, so, you know, and, 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 and for those that teach it, they say, you don't give, and the tithe is holy to the Lord. You're giving God to what's God's. And so you don't start giving until you give above 10%. That's those that promote the law of tithing. But you see, that's not the case. Your tithe, or even if you did tithe, and that you gave a tenth, that tenth is, is your giving to God. We're not, we're not under the law of Moses, okay? And this is where the confusion comes in. So, in saying all of that, let's go back to Hezekiah and go back to chapter, uh, verse 6. It says, The children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen, sheep, and the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God, and they laid it in heaps. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. So they saw the heaps. The people have responded in abundance. And so here we are dealing with the spirit of giving. And Paul the Apostle, he even addresses it specifically and explicitly in Corinthians when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 4, he says, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. Isn't it interesting that Paul is very mindful. Again, he's talking about the need for a collection and, and to meet needs amongst the people. And so, but he's, in doing so, he says, I've sent someone ahead of time to prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So he's wanting... He's still wanting them to perform what they said they would. But he's saying, make sure you do it from a right heart. Make sure it's from a right spirit. Not because of, not, out of, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what it says in verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when you give, give with your heart, not grudgingly and out of obligation. And Paul is establishing this principle. 
And truly, this is what's happening in Hezekiah and the people. It's not because of some law. Okay, it's written in the law of Moses, but they're doing it from their hearts. And it's this point that I just want to emphasize a little bit further, if I, if I may, this morning. Because even David, I mean, Hezekiah had a heart after his father David, the Bible tells us. So let's look at David and his approach to giving, because we see a similar example in David himself. So turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 29 and we're going to read from verse 3 now listen and identify the spirit of giving and the principles of giving this morning in verse 3 we have David David the the at this point the temple has not yet been built but it's in David's heart to build the temple and he has been making provision for it because God said, you shall not make it. Your son uh, will be a man of peace, so Solomon, and he will, he will build the temple. But, but David made provision for it. So let's read from verse 3. David says, moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. And he says in verse 4, 3,000 talents of gold and ophir, and 7,000, uh, go to verse 5, the gold for things of gold and silver and so forth. And it says in verse 5, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? So David said, this is what I'm doing, this is what I've done. Who else is willing to do it? And he says, uh, and then he says in verse, um, uh, who's willing to consecrate himself to the, uh, this day to the Lord? Verse 6, then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captives of thousands and of hundreds, of the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work offered willingly and so um, go down to verse 9 then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord and King David also rejoiced greatly so here can you see that the, the whole result of giving was because it, it was in their heart David said why am I giving because I've set my affection on the house of my God. And so this is, a, this is a, it's where we set our affections, church. Where we set our affections. I know that there are needs and I know that there are things that demand, uh, there are various demands in the mundane things of life, the responsibilities. We've got bills to pay. We've got, you know, the, uh, the mortgage, the rent, whatever. There's, the needs are, are always pressing and are great. But you see, when we set our affection upon God, the result will be liberality. You know, I'll be honest with you, let's be real. There are those that say, oh, I can only give $5 to the Lord. But you see, we don't, we don't mind going out and lavishing ourselves with, with clothes and with things. Because when we set our affection on something, we'll pay that amount of money. And not only that, we'll do it ple with pleasure. Oh, it cost this much, doesn't matter, it was worth it. Because where we set our affections, that's where we, we're prepared to give our money. But when it comes to the house of God, it's like, oh, I don't really have much to give. Maybe you don't. But maybe you don't because you're not a good steward of your money. Let's be honest. 
And so these are things that we can see. And David says, I've set, this is the first principle, I've set my affection on the house of my God. It's set, we have to set our affections on God. And then we see, uh, then the leaders responded. See, it's in David's heart, as it was in Hezekiah's, and Hezekiah, then the people responded, and the Levites, and then in Hezekiah, we have David, then the, the leaders, the Bible says, responded, then the people responded. You see, giving's contagious. And so here we have it. And then it says in verse 9, they offered themselves willingly, willingly. Not of obligation, not grudgingly, willingly. With, listen, with a loyal heart. A loyal heart. And these are the principles behind giving. These are the principles that say, you know what, I'm going to give to God my first fruits. I'm going to set aside that first portion, whatever it is. But I'm going to give, I'm going to make sure I systematically, as a steward of God's finances, I'm going to give unto God. Because I've set my affections on Him. He's first. You, amen. <laughs> so, and sometimes we have to examine our own hearts to see where our affections are set and where we're spending our money. See, listen to what it says. It says in verse with David, it says that, that they consecrated themselves. See, this is the first principle. You have to consecrate yourself unto God. It's only then that you will begin. See, that word uh, consecrate means to, uh, to be separated, um, to be full or full of in this particular scripture uh, in, we read in, about David. And so, uh, meaning to be, we're so full of God, we're so full of, uh, our, our heart is filled with fullness of love and loyalty to, to Him. It's whole, it's complete. We are consecrated to God. So let's go back to our text in chapter 31, and now look at verse 18. And it says, To all who were written in the genealogy, and the little ones, and their wives, their sons and daughters, and the whole company of them, now listen to these words. For in their faithfulness, they sanctified themselves in holiness. In their faithfulness. See, this is again the principle of consecration. In their faithfulness. Faithfulness is the basis of, of everything in the Christian life. Our faithfulness to come to the house of God. Our faithfulness to read. Our faithfulness to pray. Our faithfulness to seek God. Our faithfulness to give. In faithfulness, it says they sanctified themselves in holiness. And so this is the, this is the whole issue, is that we, are, we have to separate ourselves from the world. We have to separate ourselves from these things so we're not so caught up. So the word sanctified in the Hebrew, uh, it, it, it means to be clean, sanctified, set apart, not tainted with the world. And we find the New Testament equivalent for this. And we are to be sanctified in holiness, in that we are uh, uh, dedicated and consecrated unto Him, whether it be with our body, as our body belongs to the Lord, we have to consecrate it to God, or whether it be with our, our possessions, or we, in this case our finances, everything it relates to in our lives. Faithfulness. So, we can see this morning, I pray you can, 
some various things of how truths of how this works. Look at verse 20. It says, Then Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. See, God looked at it and said this, and he's seeing the response of the people, their giving and their liberality. The Bible says he did what was, what was, uh, was, um, uh, what was uh, good, right, and true before the Lord his God. And in verse 21, it says, In every work that he began to do in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with, listen, all his heart. There it is again. All his heart. And listen to what it says as final words. So he prospered. So he prospered. You see, you can't ignore the fact this morning that he, the Hezekiah, the Bible says, so he prospered. Now, I'm not here to preach a prosperity gospel, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But remember, the prosperity gospel is, true, is, is, is rooted many times. Truth, when it's taken to an extreme, becomes an error, okay? So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater is what I'm trying to say. Just because we reject the prosperity gospel and the, the money preachers of today and all that is going on around us, and I, I detest it as well. But you see, there, you don't, let's not discard the word of God. Because the word of God does teach us if we love him and serve him, do what is right, God will prosper us. But that's not our motivation. We don't give to God in order, we don't give to God so that we can receive. It's not a selfish thing like the world, you know, I do this and do that and God's going to bless me with this and that. No, we do it because we just love him and because we love him, God loves us. So he just showers his children with blessings because God delights to prosper his people and bless them. And that blessing is not just, it's not, it can be monetary, but it's not, it can be anything. It just can be the richness of life and the blessings that are associated with that. But see, it was all of his heart, so he prospered. You see, it's all about an issue of the heart this morning. Now, that word um, prosper in verse 21 it means to push forward, to push forward. So God causes us to, to march on, to push forward, to go on in his blessings, in his grace and in, and in his favour that is upon our lives. And that's the blessing that we want. We want that prosperity in the sense of not financial gain, but just simply God's approval, knowing that we're pleasing him knowing that we have, uh, that his joy is our strength and we can live in that. But you see, Hezekiah gave, the leaders gave, the people gave. There was a, a spirit of giving and liberality amongst the people of God. And really that's what happened in the day of Pentecost as well, as I pointed out at the beginning. God comes on the scene, God moves upon their hearts and what's the first thing they do? One of the first things they do is they give. It's spontaneous response to God's grace in the heart. And that's why Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he says that, that this grace that was in the Macedonians, who in, the, in, the, in their poverty, their, their, their joy abounded in their liberality. He said, let this grace be in you also. 
Because when the grace of God is working in our hearts, uh, as it was on the day of Pentecost, as it was in the, the church of Macedonia, when God's grace is working, it's a joy to give. It's a joy to, 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 to be able to, to bless. And this is what is happening in our text. But do you remember what happened on, uh, in those initial stages of the early church? Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? I've, uh, you know, I've heard preachers over the years say, you know, because they didn't tithe, <laughs> that God killed them. That's not why God killed them, okay? It has nothing to do with the tithe. In actual fact, the Bible says that while it was in your hands, it was in your power to do whatever you wanted to do with it, okay? The reason why they got judged is because they decided they were going to give a portion, and even that was commendable we want to give a portion but they lied on what they had sold the land for and so everyone saw look at the portion they're giving and that and this is how much they sold it for oh my gosh look at how much and they wanted the praise of men and so they and the bible says they lied to the holy spirit and so because they did they gave but their heart they didn't their heart was not right their heart the heart was lying their heart was deceitful and god says i hate that and boom, bang they breathe their last. Gee, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? <laughs> because God looks at the heart, church. You can give. That's why Jesus looks at you know um, he's, uh, you know the story about the the the, um, the woman that gives those couple of mites at the temple, and Jesus says she's given more than all. They all gave out of their abundance. She gave a, a, she gave all that she had. But she only gave a little bit. It was, remember, it's, it's, it's about the issue of the heart. And so, um, and, and this is uh, how we must understand it as well. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. Hezekiah did it with all his heart. David set his affection and they did it with a loyal heart. We have to do it with a loyal heart, not by law. Ah, oh, the law, oh, that church, they ask for money, they give. Well, there's always needs, isn't there? Paul, Paul sent someone... The Corinthians had made a promise and Paul sent somebody prior to his arrival to make sure that they made good on it. Oh, come on, Paul, you're being a little heavy here. No, but he lays down the principle. He says, listen, I'm sending someone because I'm getting you to fulfill that which you had already promised. So, but, but he says, remember, in doing it, don't do it grudgingly because God won't recognise it. No, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Now, I did say that Hezekiah prospered, and I want to I want to close with two scriptures. First one is in Luke chapter six, verse thirty-eight. Jesus said, "Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over." will be put into your bosom for with the same measure you use it will be measured back to you this is a biblical principle this is not prosperity gospel this is just a biblical principle jesus himself declared it give and it's the issue of the heart and it'll be given back to you now listen to this good measure pressed down shaken together so it can make more room and running over now that's not saying that that's god's going to bless you mon with money okay 
It's, it's talking about the richness of God's blessing that abides upon those that give and the joy that fills their heart, the love that fills their heart and the overflowing of the blessing of God that is upon their lives. And yes, it may very well manifest itself in some form of prosperity financially, but that doesn't equate to that. See, God, when God sees His people give out of a loyal heart, it's in Him to want to bless them more. Because he's a loving father. He's a good God. I mean, we're like that with kids. We, you have children? If you're, you see that your children are doing the right thing in the way they manage their finances or they give or meet needs, and you're so encouraged and you just want to bless them more. That's the nature of it. That's what God's like. We're just reflection of him. And he wants to bless us abundantly. Now, everyone talks about Malachi, and this is my last word before I conclude. Malachi chapter 3. Now, people avoid it. Some people use it all the time. But you see, it's there. It's there. It's the nature of God. It's the heart of God. Now, I'm not going to go into the law of Moses that is associated, but the principle is still there, and I'm not going to avoid it. Okay? Now, the principle is this. We know in the previous verses of Malachi chapter 10, or actually, I'll read it, because God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, if you read at the end of chapter 4, it says do this according to the law of Moses, okay? So we're not in the law of Moses as such. So we're not talking now specifically about the tithe. You know, bring your tithe now to church. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that they may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord. He's saying test me to the children of Israel. Test me. Try me. And he says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be no room or be not room enough to receive it. You see, that's our God. That's his nature. Try me now, test me now. Because I tell you, if we will just give, if we will have a spirit of liberality, if we will manage our finances, if we will set aside the portion, we'll give of the first fruits, we'll give with a whole heart, say, Lord, I give because I, I love you. I, this is part of my worship to you, is to give. And the Bible says that God's response is to always to bless. Now, we don't give to be blessed, but we get blessed because of who God is. Amen? And so let us understand what I'm saying this morning about the spirit of giving as it's seen in Hezekiah, as it's seen amongst the children of Israel, and as we understand it in the word of God. I hope I've been clear enough in what I've said this morning, and may God bless you. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word of God. And Lord God, we can't talk about these things without talking about the issue of money because your word is clear. We can either serve God or mammon. We can't serve two masters and, and we know that money is the root of all kinds of evil and so therefore it is incumbent and imperative that we manage, Lord, and be stewards of that which you've put into our hands. And Lord, let us be those that, that, will, be, that will be givers that will, Lord God, set our heart and our affections on, on you. That we will set aside a portion on the first day of the week, God, as you prosper us, uh, uh, that we would make sure we set aside a first fruit, Lord. Oh God, 
I pray that we as your people would see these things, embrace them with our whole heart, Lord, and do it with a loyal heart, Lord, because we love you. And that as David said, I've set my affection on the house of my God. I've given over and above, Lord, because you love a cheerful, cheerful giver. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people in Jesus' name. Amen.